Welcome to the Joint to Scale podcast. I'm Pablo Cortez. My guest today is uh, Rohan Guillot Sutherland. Rohan is a designer, builder, teacher, and advocate of regenerative practices around the world. He shares his knowledge and promotes a regenerative lifestyle through the projects he and his team work on. Rohan, thanks again for taking the time to join me. How are you? Hi, Pablo. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I think if we can start off by maybe having you share how regenerative systems came to be, um, talk about the services you provide and the uh, overall mission for regenerative systems. Yeah, I think um, the, the best way to start would be to say that at some point at the beginning of my career, I was working with the UN and international non-governmental organizations on um, sustainable development and also adaptation to climate change. And this is because I saw these issues as being vital to solve some of our world's most pressing problems. And um, what I found by doing this work is that I got quickly disillusioned doing the actual work. I was seeing that we're actually creating um, some extra problems to some extent. There's a saying that is that the solutions of yesterday are today's problems. To some extent, I was feeling that a lot of that was going on with, especially with aid, but also the notion of sustainable development, which for me kind of goes, it goes against its own purpose because the idea of development in the way that we have it now, this economic development, the, the constant growth on a finite planet for me, that, that specific model is flawed and is creating a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the world. So the idea behind sustainability, thus making things slightly more efficient, but towards the same end, was, you know, going nowhere in, in, in how I saw the world. So during this work, what I did is I worked with fascinating people, very intelligent, got to learn a lot about different possible systems that can be implemented and that we did try to implement to some extent. And I decided by myself to do more research and to think of, okay, what, what is really the solution that we're looking for? We need everybody to have a shelter. We need everybody to have clean drinking water, clean food, um, you know, energy, all the rest of it in order to be able to live decent lives and hopefully thrive. And so for me, that was my quest to kind of learn how to be able to provide all of these things on a local level, but that then creates this sort of uh, pattern that can be replicated anywhere in the world on a global scale. And so it took me into many, I traveled in South America, in Africa, different places in Europe, in Asia as well, and working with different organizations there, meeting some experts who um, still carry out either traditional knowledge or are involved in working on new technologies, often low-tech solutions and the rest of it. And so for me, it was learning all of these principles about holistic design whole systems design that can then be applied anywhere in the world. And so I worked, I co-founded different organizations. I did a lot of uh, humanitarian disaster relief, also worked for corporations. 
And so when I came here to California, I decided to create a business in order to try to um, promote some of this in California, which for me, I always saw as, as a place that's quite progressive. So we'll try to go into this direction. And at the same time, that is facing some huge problems that need to be dealt with. So I felt that creating the business called regenerative systems here and trying to implement this can then potentially have ripple effects elsewhere so that's really the story getting there and and so the idea of regeneration versus sustainability is that if you are sustaining a degenerate model the end result is of course a lot of problems uh, by the idea of regeneration is that you can actually have a positive impact by doing development or carrying out different actions. And a lot of this is also based on how indigenous people, how traditional knowledge has carried out their practices throughout time um, in harmony, but also improving their landscape in order for the landscape to provide more for them at the same time. So my services um, basically include con consulting, design, and build work. That's what I concentrate on. And really the mission is this idea to create positive feedback loops so that by any action, whether it's building a new house, whether it's integrating um, rainwater harvesting or gray water systems into existing houses or retrofitting them in order to get passive heating and cooling, that in the end, this is going to have a positive impact for the people living there, but also for the rest of the bioregion, hopefully. And that's, that's basically what I try to concentrate on. You make the distinction between applying the sustainable aspects of, of design to, say, a traditional building, and your regenerative systems are recontextualizing that traditional building into these more uh, holistic systems, right? Where you're not just doing the sustainable practices in addition to, but you're including them as part of the entire system, right? As, as like you say, a regenerative system where it's all, uh, all in one sort of, maybe not one specific location, but say a region or a community, right? Where everything kind of works together, right? rather than simply just applying some sustainable practices to the um, you know, traditionally built uh, uh, building or, or neighborhood. Um, if you can talk a little bit about, uh, Rohan, your background, are you more in the design, engineering, architectural side of things, or are you coming more from the uh, political sort of um, community uh, uh, involvement I think, I mean, in, in that sense, it's interesting because I've, in, in terms of my career, I've, I've been doing more sort of project management in general in, in the type of fields that I was talking about. But the design aspect has always been something that's been of great interest to me and that I only really started going into after I decided to move away from that career I had in the UN and to start going through this experimenting path of learning all of these different concepts and principles and applying them. So the design is not necessarily something that I learnt 
uh, whether it was in my studies or that I was carrying out at the beginning of my career, but it's something that I have embraced in myself afterwards and that is now um, a way that I think about. Now, what's interesting is that with my studies, I was studying international relations, but for me, what it gave me is more a sort of big picture view of the different systems that are at work in, on our planet, um, the dis different human systems that we've created and that sort of dictate the way we live and how the economy and how social interactions and the rest of it work. And so from there to then zoom in and to look at, you know, specific bioregions, cultures, and try to find the best ways possible in which people can live um, and, and have a positive impact around them was, was a sort of natural, in a sense. It's not necessarily something that I was thinking about back then when I was studying, but for me, it gave me that sort of insight before being able to really go into the details of the design world that, that I have learned to embrace. You talked about moving or coming to California to the LA area. Um, I would imagine with some challenges, right? Um, if you can talk a bit about what some of those challenges are that you've had to overcome or maybe even continue to come across to see some of your projects get built. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really interesting one because the biggest issue that I've had at the beginning, what I did is I organized these presentations in different places where I already knew that that people who were interested in sustainability and the rest of it would would come. So I was giving these um, these lectures on green buildings and all of these different systems that can be integrated in order to live um sort of as self-sufficiently as possible and 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 i had all this interest and a lot of clients wanting me to help them design their homes or to retrofit it and going into more and more detail and more and more research you know i, I basically came head to head with the codes with the permitting process which which makes it extremely hard to build in a way that for me just makes sense. So for instance, if we think about the, the type of buildings that are created here and that are easily permitted, you know, we're talking about stick frames with, with uh, a lot of toxic materials <laughs> being put into them. And what do we see? We see these fires that go on pretty much every year and, and these these buildings just burn down, release all of this toxic material at the same time, and we just rebuild the same thing. So to think of these natural materials like using the earth, an earthen home, people have been building earthen ovens forever. And we know very well that the earth will protect from fires because we have these ovens that will just burn for ages and, and, and that do not have any issues so so this idea that you know building houses with these materials that are readily available locally um and would be able to withstand fires when they happen is something that just makes complete sense but then and, and that's why people are interested in this but then once you try to get it permitted you go into all of these different issues so for me that was that was the biggest 
problem that 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 I saw and that I started to face. And actually, because of this, I've been starting to do more and more work in terms of research and development. Um, so I've been working with Cal Poly and other organizations. One is Quell Springs Permaculture, which is based uh, near Santa Monica, uh, Santa Barbara, I mean. And the idea was to start getting the information needed for building officials, engineers, to understand the materials and their principles, and therefore this being able to be integrated in the international building codes. So from, from this sort of, in a sense, you know, wishful thinking that I could just go ahead and start building these houses, to being confronted to all of the, the issues with the codes, naturally pushed me on the way of doing more innovative innovative work in terms of trying to get the the right data out there in order to change the way that we see these um, natural building techniques and how they can therefore be incorporated whether it be LA County or elsewhere uh, in California and therefore the rest of the world because I feel that if you can get these codes accepted here in California uh, because of how stringent they are, then they should easily be able to be replicated in other places as well. Yeah, um, I think that kind of leads into my next question. Um, barring all the permitting uh, navigating you got to do with these projects, uh, how difficult of a process is it to convert an existing home uh, to take advantage of uh, these regenerative systems? Yeah, and I think the the what i'm actually concentrating on when i work now is the retrofitting is much easier to do than to try to build a a new home in terms of the permitting in any case but then also when you're thinking in terms of regeneration you're also having less of an impact because this house whatever plants were already there you know was leveled off there's already a slab that's been put in place. There's already all these materials that have been put in place. And therefore, you are basically just adapting this structure using different materials. So, so for me, the simplicity in it is that once you understand the principles that you're working with, which are basically from natural law, physical laws, um, you're able to look at any specific project and the circumstances of that place so the materials that i try to use will always be as local as possible they would first and foremost be from the land itself where the project is going to happen or in the vicinity as close as possible so in a sense the design is also sort of dictated by the resources that are there of course by the climate as well course also looking at culture and the rest of it but to a big extent the resources so once you have those principles you're able to adapt it and so the the design may change and vary in terms of what I find in a place or I don't but then once you have the sort of whole systems design aspect in mind you just work with the resources that are around you and you're able to 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 work really well and for me that's that's very simple and and it becomes also extremely cheap for the client because you're reducing the costs 
in terms of the materials that are needed. In many cases, you're able to invite people who want to learn these techniques, and so they are ready to volunteer. In a lot of cases with natural building, uh, people go to workshops and have to spend quite a bit of money in order to, in a sense, learn by working. And I remember when I did my transition from the UN and I learned that way and I actually spent money, I remember my parents just saying, like, what are you doing? You're, you just went from this and now you're spending money in order to work for them. What is this? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but what I try to do when I carry out these projects is not to charge people, but to have it more as an exchange. So they are helping to build whatever it may be. And at the same time, they're able to learn from it. But even more than that, it's really this aspect of working in community again. So people learning to work together, discussing, enjoying themselves, um, participating, recreating to some extent some of this social fabric, which has always been in humanity. But because of individualism, we kind of lost that connection. So it's recreating the connection between ourselves and with our surrounding um, environment. So in terms of the client, the thing is, so we're saving money in terms of these resources. We're also not creating any negative impacts because of potential energy that's embedded in other types of materials that we could have been using or toxic materials or whatever it may be. And at the same time, the work that we're doing is then going to mean that the client is going to be using less energy altogether to heat or to cool their house, that they will be using less water in order to use for the house itself, but also to irrigate the plants um, by, you know, potentially growing some of their own food. They're now able to save money again in terms of what they're buying, but also better quality and better for their own health. So I think it's it's really this idea that something that can be done and have a myriad of different negative impacts around it is now twisted around and you're able to create all of these positive um, cycles around it. So it's really kind of inversing the spin of a spiral to some extent, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah um... You mentioned the having the client sort of be involved with the not not only the the design and the uh, the building process, but I would imagine it would take a certain type of person to be able to be a little bit more involved in say the overall maintenance of these structures, right? Their their regenerative system. Um, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of taking care of a gray water system that would need to be cleared out every once in a while, unless it's on an automatic system or things like a garden where they would have to maintain and kind of make sure that everything gets tended to. Um, do you see that as, as, as a, um, in your clients that they, they tend to be more wanting to be involved in the, uh, the sustainability portion and the, the livability of their, uh, of their, their, say, for example, a home. I think that's a, that's a very good question, and I think the beauty in, in working with these, these principles is that you can either have an extremely high-tech system that pretty much is able to maintain itself and requires the least amount of maintenance of sort of interaction from the person who's using it. And, and some 
clients, some people I work for, this is what they, they, they want, this is what they require. Now, other people really enjoy the interaction with it. And to some extent as well, if you simplify the system, so the, mo the more low-tech you go, potentially the more maintenance you need to do yourself. Of course, we may see it as time wasted, <laughs> but, but what's, what's really beautiful when you're interacting with these systems is you're working with it. It's, it's a sort of ecosystem in which you are involved, and by maintaining it, it is maintaining you. And for me, it's, it's really beautiful when people really have that interest rather than, than this idea of just like, I want this stuff because I see it as sustainable, but I don't want to have anything to do with it, rather than having someone who's really keen on learning how it works, how it functions, and how they can make sure that it continues doing so. So I really, that's, that's one of the, the, the aspects that I like the most. And to some extent, I've come to the point where I can be a little bit more picky <laughs> and try to actually work with people who, who have a lot more of that interest. Yeah, yeah. You can, I mean, you can definitely do a set it and forget it type of system, but I think it does make sense to have somebody that is a little more active in, in making sure that everything is, it, it is working in proper order and being cleaned out, being replaced or taken care of when it has to, right? Um, like, for example, here at my house, it, it, I need to replace, I know that I need to replace the air filter in the, uh, the, the um, air conditioning system, right? And that's every three, you know, whenever that, that comes up, but I, I, I have that in mind. Um, so yeah, I think it does kind of take that, that person that is able to kind of be in tune a little bit more, right? With their home and what needs to be done when, um, and, and be able to do it themselves, um, which is, I think it's great. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good way to be able to, you know, you take care of your house, your house is going to take care of yourself, right? It's of, of, of you and your, and your family. Um, do you see these, uh, uh, any kind of, let me, let me start that question over. Sorry. Do you see regenerative neighborhoods as a part of the urban environment? How do you see that playing out? Um, I think, I think it's the only way we can really move forward because Cities are responsible for most of the pollution, most of the energy being um, used up, and therefore, if if again twisted around, they can really be part of improving the life for, for everyone. And so, I think, but but then, if you look at you know what is a regenerative neighborhood? So, for for instance, right now we have lead lead certification. And every time I go into a building that is LEED certified and I just look, I see tons of concrete everywhere. <laughs> and I see all these materials and I'm like, how, how is this possible? How does this work? And even if, even if the principle is to say in 60 years, we will be carbon neutral, 60 years. If we, if we listen to science, we have maybe 10 years to reverse course right now. And I think the beauty with humanity is that if we really put our minds to it, we can make the change. Um, but, but this idea of LEED certification and suddenly feeling good, feeling that's the way. I mean, for me, LEED certification should at least be the basis for every house. But for me, it's not even enough. Then if you go maybe further, 
you have the living building challenge and you have houses there that are trying to be what is called net positive. So it's this idea to say that the materials that are the, the, the embodied energy in the materials and then um, the renewable energy and the efficiency of the building all will mean that it will actually be to some extent um, carbon negative. So we're actually able to save or to produce more CO2 to some extent, to produce more oxygen or to sequester more CO2 than we have emitted from all of these different aspects. But that comes to a term which is called net zero energy. But if you think of net zero energy, it doesn't actually mean what's embedded and the materials. It actually just means the energy you're producing is as much as the energy you're consuming. And it's not looking at the rest of it. So, but for me, the living building challenge goes beyond that because it's looking at net positive. So I like it, but I think what it's missing out is also thinking of what is the type of transportation from this building elsewhere? How do you go to work? How do you come back to work? Where is your food being produced? Where does it come from? How do you get it? How is the building in a biophilic design, how is it integrated with the bioregion and all of the ecosystems around us? And for me, it's just, you know, it's just thinking, okay, we have a building, we have materials, and we have energy being produced. And this is really all we're looking at instead of looking at this wider aspect. So right now I'm teaching at Cal Poly, Pomona, at uh, the Center for Regenerative Studies. And one of the classes that I'm teaching is called Regenerative Urban Infrastructure. And so what we're trying to look at is not just we have these buildings, these eco-buildings, but we're looking at all the different systems that are integrated from the city itself in order to be able to create this regenerative um, way of life and interactions between all of these different systems. So I think, you know, this idea of sort of eco-neighborhoods or eco-villages without really seeing how they are connected to everything else is not going to be the solution. I think we really need to be able to look and design holistically, you know, as a bioregion overall. So we're looking at urban, peri-urban, and outside of the bioregion and how all of this can be connected together in the most efficient ways on top of thinking in terms of what are we getting from outside how are people being transported from in and out from outside of it as well and how all this can work together but really it really will take that aspect of thinking in order to to come up with the real solutions not just to have these eco neighborhoods here and there where people are still traveling the way that they're traveling now back and forth consuming food the way that they are now um even if you know all of the houses have solar panels on top so that's that's what i would see um within that to, to really make a difference yeah more more city and regional scale than the neighborhood scale right making these systems interact yeah yeah um Rohan, how is just you source your building materials locally? Um, how have you found that these materials are basically readily available? Um, is there 
is there a, a, an issue with having certain materials not being able to be used and you have to dispose of because of toxicity or anything like that? But uh, I think my question is more along the lines of the building materials and how uh, accessible they are um, when it comes to building a project at a certain location, right? Whether is it is there a percentage of how much you would want to be able to use locally sourced versus the actuality of the availability of those of those materials? Right. No, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, for me, like I was saying, the the main source for the materials is from wherever the project is going to take place. So, say if we're going to be um, building, I have some clients who want, say, a, a dry composting toilet in their backyard. So we're going to decide to build it. And at the same time, we can think of integrating a rain garden, a bioswell with the whole system or create a constructed wetland to treat some of the wastewater, etc. So by, by thinking in that way, we're, we're also thinking, okay, the soil that we're going to be using to build with we're actually going to be digging this bioswell or digging this constructed wetland. So we, by digging that out, we now have the material that we need to build with. But in some cases, maybe this material has too much sand or too much clay, and therefore we need to bring some other materials from elsewhere. What I love doing is to give a new life to materials. So say contacting contractors who maybe doing a specific work where they have to excavate a lot of soil and where would this soil usually go to, to the landfill? And, and the contractor has to pay to dump this soil at the landfill. So by contacting different ones and saying, oh, do you have a soil that has more clay or more sand in it, depending on what your needs are, they will literally come and deliver it to you for free. Because in any case, they were going to pay for the driver, they were going to pay for the transportation, but now they don't have to pay for the dump anymore, and it's now being used somewhere else. Um, so this can be for soil. It can also be for wood um, in terms of demolition projects or all kinds of wood being used by contractors that you have access to. So you now have access to this repurposed wood and all kinds of other building materials. In some places where I've worked, it's actually impossible to get these materials from recycling centers or even from landfills because you're simply not allowed to go there. It's very strict. And so in some cases, what we found is that some businesses came up where some of these contractors just decided to keep, you know, windows, doors, anything that they find that they see slightly valuable. And so you're still buying it secondhand. And for me, this idea of secondhand new life it changes the way that we can perceive a material. Because if we're, say, buying a new material in a hardware store, it's as if you're buying all of the pollution, all of the energy, all of these different things that have gone to produce it. But if you're repurposing it, it's as if that has already been used up for the first life that this material has had. And you're now just able to give it an extra one and take away the energy that might be necessary at the landfill and the rest of it. So again, the, this idea of positive feedback loops. So I think that that's for contractors. Then sometimes when I need clay, specific clay, I also work with ceramic studios and they have leftover clay. So I'm able to go there and pick it up from them. 
And also just the, the other thing that's interesting is when I, when I do this, the other one was recently we had Halloween. So I was just, you know, going to a store and I saw they had all these straw bells outside for Halloween. And I asked them, what are you going to do with them afterwards? We're going to chuck them out. So I said, what date? When? Can I come pick them up? Yes, no. And what I usually try to do is in any case, I was going to go back to buy some groceries. And so at the same time, I'm coming back with straw bells. I'm not even doing a journey just specifically for the straw bells. It's like an extra that I'm that I'm able to get on the site. Then the idea, I don't know if you've heard of EcoBricks. They're basically this idea that you take a plastic bottle and you compact plastic waste inside of it. And then you can use it as a brick, which means you're using less material, whether it be, you know, an earthen material or otherwise. Um, because even, you know, using earthen materials, it's not necessarily always all available. It does require some energy in order to process and the rest of it. So by putting these eco bricks in the construction, we're actually using less of the material itself, but they can also be used for insulation. So that's some of the tests we're doing right now at Cal Poly have to do with figuring out the R value, the insulative value of these eco bricks in order to be able to use them in, in walls. Then in terms of the solar systems that we put in place, some people may have solar panels on their roof and maybe one of the solar panels gets damaged, gets a little crack. Aesthetically for them, it's displeasing, so they want to get rid of it, but that solar panel is still producing energy. In terms of companies who produce a lot of electricity from solar panels, um, because the efficiency of the solar panels keeps increasing steadily, for them it makes more sense sometimes to just get rid of all the solar panels they have and install new ones because of how much more efficient. But then that means you have access to all these solar panels that are still extremely efficient. So again, this idea of repurposing. And for these solar systems that are completely independent, like the one I'm using, is completely off-grid. I'm not tied into the grid and I have all the electricity I need. The batteries that I'm using are EV batteries from electrical vehicles. Electric vehicles, I'm able to get these batteries when maybe the car had an issue and so these batteries can go away and I'm able to repurpose them as well. So I think that, that the idea of where you get your materials, how it, how they come to be, whether it be natural materials that you can find around you, and by extracting it, you're actually creating this way, it, you know, through a rain garden, for instance, where now stormwater is able to slow down, spread out, and sink back into the ground by having extracted this soil that is then used to build something with or to retrofit or to improve the thermal capacity of a building, we're trying to again improve, create these positive cycles. And then in terms of the repurposing of materials, we're trying to take away materials that would usually end up in the landfill, in the dump, uh, potentially create certain issues and we're trying to give them a new life, upcycling them into something positive. Yeah, um, Rohan, thank you very much. This is all very interesting information. I'm sure um, people listening can get um, 
very good idea of what you're doing and, and what you're uh, attempting to accomplish. Um, how can people learn a little bit more about what you're doing and your work? Um, what can they go to? They can visit. You, have, you guys have a website up, correct? I do. So the website is regenerative-systems.com. There's also, you can check out, there's Instagram, um, which is just at regenerative systems, one word. And right now we're looking into creating more and more demonstration projects. So by following us, or if you want to get involved, um, you can come and learn some of these systems that we carry out. Because for us, really, we want to create demonstration projects that people can see, experience, in order to really um, get convinced that this is possible and that it is it is worthwhile and that it is extremely comfortable to live in such a home, for instance. The educational aspect is extremely important for people to learn how this is possible um, and to make these techniques available to everyone. And then the lobbying, the research and development, whether it be with universities, but also just in general in some of the projects, we always try to integrate new techniques in order to make it work. So to check out the website, to check out Instagram, and really the, I think the idea behind all of the work that we're doing is to make these techniques available to everyone. There's this idea of democratic techniques versus sort of autocratic techniques. If you say depend on a business to provide a certain service and they are the only ones who have access to these materials or who you need to build uh, buy them from, then for me, that is a sort of top-down system. For me, the idea is really to give the tools and the methodologies to others in order for them to be able to do it because that's what we want at the end of the day. We want this to become normalized, everybody to have access to it, especially people who are vulnerable and who don't necessarily have a lot of means. Um, so, yeah. You can definitely look us up on the website, look us up on Instagram, and we will be trying to have more and more sort of educational information out there also on YouTube and the rest of it. So thanks so much for, for asking that too. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you again for, for taking the time for the episode. Um, and uh, best of luck with uh, moving forward on your, on your, um, your work with Regenerative Systems. Thank you so much, Pablo. All the best to you too.